and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So, on today's episode, we're heading over to North Gateway High School, um, you know, to go and uh, hang out with our new best girlfriends who might only like us because we're newly gay, I guess. But anyway, though, uh, today's episode, though, uh, we're going to be covering a little movie from 2013 called GBF or Gay Best Friend for, you know, uh, it's the shortened version, I guess, of GBF, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, uh, so this movie, uh, like I said, it came out in 2013. It um, came out at festivals and I think it had like a, um, a VOD release in 2014, I believe. Uh, so uh, celebrating a 10-year, like a belated anniversary, I guess, uh, for this episode. I-, I will say GBF is one of these movies where I became familiar with it, probably just watching it on to be honest, probably Netflix is where I first watched it because it was on there for quite a while. Just seeing that it was like a gay thing just kind of had me intrigued. But then also finding out that this was also directed by the one and only Darren Stein, who is, of course, uh, known for directing Jawbreaker, uh, one of my favorite movies. You know, that, that also helped too. So I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, this could be fun. So I remember watching it and I probably watched it, like I said, in 2015, 2016 or something. And uh, I always kind of had a, a nice little affinity for the movie um is it perfect no not necessarily but i will say that i think it is a fun movie i do think it is uh it's nice to see it an overtly queer story um and i think overall like i think it is fairly successful in what it's trying to do if anything so i i can appreciate that for for what it is uh so yeah, and I, I think this movie is starting to get a little bit of a, a nice little like kind of cult following, if you will, um, of people who are, are aware of it, or they maybe saw it when they were younger, or, or like whatever. I mean, by the time this came out, I was already like 21, I think. So it was a little little different for me, but at least I was aware of like what Darren said had already done before. So like, you know, this was just kind of a... It was nice to kind of see some of the the same elements uh, in this movie as well, which I thought was really cool. So, but yeah, as we normally do in the show, we're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, we're going to talk about the cast and the crew, um, and then I am so excited to be having a, a nice interview you'll hear in this episode as well. Uh, without further ado, everybody, let's get on to those figures. GBF was released. So Tribeca, it was April 19th of 2013 is when it premiered. Um, and then it actually, uh, I believe, went on VOD or it was quote released in the u.s january 17th of 2014 which is why you're hearing this now on this day so happy anniversary or belated anniversary i guess to this movie um 10 years goes by so quick um we're looking at a runtime of about 94 minutes uh and the distributor was vertical entertainment um and so actually, a uh, fun little thing that I found out, and you'll hear more about this in the interview coming up. Um, so uh, online, you you will find that uh, there are some uh, reports that say that this was uh, $3.2 million to make. Um, I actually found out that this movie, uh, I think, was made under... 500,000 honestly um which is kind of crazy when you think about it because that is insane um so yeah this movie I don't think it did not make it did not take a million dollars to make this or anything over it literally I think was made for under 500,000 actually more in like the four range so that's kind of fucking crazy there are no box office numbers for this movie because it never actually did a wide release like that. Um, it only really did streaming, and I think it um, premiered on DirecTV as well. Uh, but it never went to like a theatrical release like that. Um, so don't have any box office information. In regards to some of the reviews uh, or some of the you know scores on Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd and all, so we're looking at about an eighty percent out of 45 reviews from um, critics on Rotten Tomatoes, and then about a 55% uh, from about 5,000 ratings. Um, so again, it's kind of split a little bit. Um, and then a 2.4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Um, so again, uh, this movie is kind of like, it's not beloved by a bunch of people. However, I personally 
don't mind it. Uh, funny enough, uh, I would like to thank friend of the show, Trace Thurman. Hey, Trace. Um, he actually uh, recently, within the last month, I think, he had watched this movie and put on his letterbox um, where he said something to the effect. Let me pull it up. He gave this a four and a half, and he said how this never got a Heather's slash Jawbreaker slash Mean Girls style cult following is beyond me. It's so funny. Um, so, you know, hey, Trace. He watched it in November, I think. But yeah, I mean, I completely get that, too. And and there's plenty of people who can say whatever they want about the review of it, like, or, you know, whatever kind of consensus they want to have for it. Um, but I, I don't really mind it to be honest. So, uh, this rotten tomatoes, the site consensus reads a uh, GBF explores high school relationship dynamics and teen stereotypes with a refreshingly, um, humorous touch and smartly subtle, um, smarts which is nice but i also think like let me see that's that seems like it's nice let me see what the the mean one says oh no it does oh that's so nice that's really that's so nice to have though i thought for some reason it was going to be ruder for some reason who knows but there are some people who didn't like this i mean you have like uh ew rex reed really i guess i've seen worse teen sex comedies but it's rare to encounter one this stupid okay fuck you like whatever that's so stupid uh director darren steins is scott marks from san diego reader uh director darren steins frequently on target satire had me laughing enough to keep it interesting so that's like kind of a not rotten review but like it's not that bad but yeah i think uh other people seem to like this though which is nice fun lovely so this is directed by darren stein as i said it was already um (laughs) it was uh his third directorial movie um so he had done a documentary uh on his like kind of own life put the camera on me i believe but he also uh did jawbreaker as his uh second directorial um venture and he did sparkler which was his feature film debut um and this is his third film and he hasn't really directed since then he's done producing and stuff like that like he produced all about evil and he's produced uh, a couple different things he's wrote a different few different things as well um so it's always cool to see that yeah what else did he like write and stuff like that let me see let's look up my my buddy darren hold on uh so because i want to see what else he yeah he directed all these and then he wrote a bunch of stuff as well he wrote seeds of yesterday which is part of the flowers of the attic trilogy the new one which i appreciate um and yeah he did produce all about evil the the peaches christ film um which is cool uh george northey so he actually and you'll hear a little bit about his you'll hear about how he made the story and how it got into the hands of darren's uh you know got into darren's hands for him to direct uh but he's known for this movie pretty much i i would say so i think it's safe to say um but yeah it was just a queer guy writing a queer story so love that for him uh composer of this movie is brian h kim so he has done like um spoiler alert which is a little gay movie with jim parsons in it um he said also he did also um hello my name is doris as well um he did the music for that and uh cinematographer is john hall uh, or jonathan hall um the only thing i have on in my little my little sheet on him is that he was the cinematographer for zombievers which honestly listen i'm more than okay with that if you haven't already checked out zombievers do yourself a favor because that movie is fucking lit he he's done some other things too but honestly zombievers like let's be real i mean that's the that's the ticket right there my big my dude come on let's see who else is there um oh editor is uh philip j bartell um he's done a couple different things he did um all the boys i loved before and also the haunted mansion um the new one he also did dear white people um bad hair as well um and he also was the editor for the i am divine um uh documentary which is great oh and he also edited a couple of the eating out movies as well and uh guess what he also wrote a couple of those too so um because i'm pretty sure he yeah he wrote and directed a lot of those actually um so or he at least did the second one he directed the second one but he's written a lot of those other um sequels to eating out so you know that's cool like that Let's see who else. Michael Fitzgerald is the production designer. What did he do? Do anything fun? 
he did an eating out movie. Eh, little things here and there, I think, but nothing too insane. Um, and again, you'll find out a little bit more about the production of this movie as well. Um, ooh, who's this? Uh, ooh, Kit Scarborough. Oh, God. So she did the uh, the costume design of this film, uh, which actually isn't too bad. But let me tell you something. She also did the costume design for a little movie called Veronica from 2019 that was directed by Glenn Danzig. It is a piece of shit. Oh, God. It all makes sense. But that's okay. We still love you, Kit. We love you for uh, GBF. Maybe not so much for Veronica, but you need to go check, girl. I get it. Oh, and fun little thing, too. Oh, so Gage Hubbard who is also known as Gage Munster. He's like a social media makeup dude. Um, he did the makeup for this movie. So he did this. Um, what else did he do? Oh, did he do The Curse of La Llorona, which was like a horror movie that kind of got shot upon, but he did do that um, makeup as well. He did Patient. Um, he did Cabin Fever, Patient Zero, which I think is the third movie in that series. And did he do Bit? Oh, he did the movie Bit as well, which is that movie from um, Brad Michael Elmore. That's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a fun little, uh, it's a trans girl story, and um, it's like a vampire story or some shit. Yeah, I never even, ooh, it has Nicole Maines. Nicole Maines, if you don't know. Um, I'm going all the all over the place here. But she is actually um, a little activist, if you will. Um because she was part of the she was somebody who was a part of this um, Supreme Court case about um, transgender folks using the bathrooms that they want to use and shit Um, so she's part of that but she's also on the second season of Yellow Jackets which it took me forever but I did finally finish the last episode of the second season it just took me a couple months but you know it's fine Anyway, I'm trying to see if there's anybody else. Like, nothing that I can think of right now, though. I mean, like I said, those are all like the... Oh, and of course, you'll hear this, too, in the upcoming interview I did. This movie also has a bunch of executive producers. Because, <laughs> um, like I said a little earlier, this movie was made for low budget. Um, so, you know, one of the ways you're able to get money for a movie is uh, kind of throwing... You know, getting people to throw their names on it for executive producer to get you the money. Um, so that is why there are a bunch of different executive producers on this movie, I I would say. So, yeah. Uh, and then we go into our cast. So our cast is made up of, like, Michael J. Willett, who plays Tanner. Um, so he is from United States of Terra, which I had not finished. I would like to go out and watch it, actually. I did start it, and I love Tony Collette so much, of course. But I, um, I've just been a, a bad person, and I just haven't watched it. But, you know, it's okay. You know, we all, we all make mistakes, and we all um, have to learn from them, you know? But anyway, uh, but yeah, so he's, he's also in this, too. And this is also his feature film debut, which is cool. And he hasn't really done a whole lot of films since then, as well. But uh, where are you, Paul J. Willett? Uh, where are you, Michael J. I called you Paul J. Willett. Wow. Um, where are you, Michael J. Willett? We miss you. Like, you're so cute. Like, what the hell? Uh, Paul Icono, um, as well, he plays um, the other boy in this. What's his name? Brent. Brent Van Camp. What a fucking name, dude. Um, he is from uh, The Hard Times of R.J. Berger, which was an MTV show. Um, so that's what he did uh, back in the day. But he was also in the Fame remake, which is where he actually met uh, Miss Megan Mullally, which, who is also in this movie. Um, he's also in Return to Sleepaway Camp as well, which is kind of fun. Um yeah, he's had a little career. Also, Paul Icona, where the hell are you, dude? Like, we miss you. We love you. I do not know how to say her last name. Uh, Sasha Pierce or Pier- Pietrice, whatever. You'll hear it later. Um, <laughs> she's from X-Men First Class. Um, she was also in um, Geek Charming, which was a little, like, um, Disney Channel movie. And also um, Sharkboy and Lava Girl as well. She was in that movie. Uh, and she's in PLL. She's in Pretty Little Liars as well. So any of you PLL stands out there, you probably knew Fawcett from from this um, film. You've probably seen her in PLL. And then Andrea Bowen, who plays Schlee, or Ashley, but she goes by Schlee, 
the Mormon. Uh, she was in Bambi 2, which is like a direct video, see uh, to Bambi, and also Girl Positive, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the Lifetime original movie. Um, bitch, as you already know, of course, I know these things. Um, girl Positive is where a girl, oh yeah, a popular high school girl finds out a boy she slept with is HIV positive, and she's the lead bitch. Ooh, girl, I remember watching that. Has Jenny Garth in it. Ooh, it's so good. Sorry. And it has Eric Von Denton in it, and it has um, uh, Merkinson from Pee Wee's Playhouse and Law and Order. She's in there as well. Ooh, girl, I was getting my life with this movie. I'm sorry. Um, this was definitely a Lifetime original movie. Love that though. Love that. Oh, and she was also in a Noah Baumbach movie. I, I don't know how I feel about Noah Baumbach. Listen, he is from you know. Uh, he he did the Barbie movie with his wife Greta Gerwig. Okay, I get it. Um, he was also married to Jennifer Jason Lee for like a long time, and you know what? I just don't know how I feel about it because the fact that you, the fact you know how you could just break how y'all could just divorce Jennifer Jason Lee. I don't whatever. I'm I'm just some gay with a microphone. Whatever, it's fine. But also, we got to move on to Zosha Rockmore, who also has the best name by the way, uh, who plays Caprice in this movie, who is the only she's so good she was in precious she's in this movie she is in the disaster artist which is the um fucking weird ass what is it joaquin phoenix music no james franco sorry how dare i do that to joe joaquin phoenix james franco did that stupid movie i'm sorry i'm i've not seen it but i'm sure it's maybe not that good it's about the room yeah zosha rockmore we fucking love her anyway uh and then it, like uh, like jojo is in this movie like leave get out jojo fucking random but like kind of awesome though she had been in like aquamarine and she was in like rv which is a movie and the being a fucking icon and like getting out of her horrible like record contract and like re-releasing all of her own music before taylor swift did it don't come for me swifties but i'm just saying yeah who else is in this movie megan mullally of course plays brent's mom um which she had worked with him on fame the remake i mean she's fucking from will and grace obviously but she's just like mega malali like come on now like <laughs> you know ivana lynch uh who is also in this movie she plays Mackenzie, who's like a homophobe um she's from harry potter luna lovegood uh taylor frey who's also a gay because the two leads of this movie are are actually queer in real life he is from um he is he was an actual mormon who almost got kicked out of college for being gay um he was in it chapter two in the beginning um he's doing a couple different little things here and there i love that for him we love seeing gays um gays do good oh and then you also have like natasha leone is in here as well um of course we you know we like natasha leone for her work if anything so love that and we also have the fun little thing of rebecca gayhart's in this movie love that for her and then also jonathan silverman who is from weekend at bernie's who is not andrew mccarthy i guess um who is not him the other guy um who is in weekend at bernie's he plays uh the dad of uh um, Tanner, which is fun. Oh, and also, fun little thing, too, um, Anne Russo, uh, who has been in all of Darren Stein's movies to this point. So Anne Russo plays the German teacher in this movie, which is a very small little role. Um, but she, if you didn't already know this, Anne Russo, she is actually the goth chick in Jawbreaker. Um, so she's the one who, like, when, uh, if you remember that beautiful uh, piece of cinema, uh, where... Uh, Marcy is cracking an egg in home ec and she gets a, a bloody egg like a bloody yolk and this girl says cool you've got a stillborn she sticks her finger in it that's Anne Russo so yeah just a little something she's also the same person who like is trying to use the bathroom and then the girl's all like you know the girl with the short hair is all like I'm sorry this is reserved you know um for Violet or whatever and like the goth girl who shows up like at the prom later that's all Anne Russo we love her um but yeah she's in this movie so that's that's really fun but yeah 
but that's a little bit about like the cast and the crew of this movie. So normally on the show, I do a bunch of production history or anything like that. But I thought today what I would do is I would um, have a little somebody come on the show that can tell me a little bit more about GBF as a movie, because guess what? He directed it. Um, so you know him for his directorial efforts for the movie Sparkler, Jawbreaker, GBF. You also have seen him on Boulay Brothers Dragula. You've seen him. Uh, he's produced uh, All About Evil. Uh, so many different things. But please welcome to my show today, the one and only Mr. Darren Stein. Darren Stein, how are you doing today? <laughs> I don't even know what to call you. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Thank you for I'm... that introduction. Of course. Oh my God. I literally just called you like, okay, so I'm just calling you Darren, I guess. This is fine with me. (laughs) This is kind of like a dream for my little kid self because I grew up with Drawbreaker, of course, as a lot of gay boys did. Um, So for you to be on my show is super, super uh, wonderful. And I I thank you for being here. Um, So to kind of cut through everything, I guess, you know, what I would want to know. So I'm covering GBF today, as I already stated. What I want to know from you, and of course, you've probably done this at least a decade ago now because the movie celebrating 10 years by the time you guys are hearing this it'll be in january so still around that time it it actually did the movie come out on vod in january of the next year because it premiered in 2013 right um yeah i think it premiered in film festivals yeah and 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 then it came out and then it had a small theatrical uh Mm. and it came out on on um direct tv actually for had an exclusive oh look at that on direct tv and then it was on netflix for four years Mm, got it got it okay so yeah so around that time but you're still within that little you know it's been a decade now which is crazy for me to think uh but what i want to know from you um is uh you can find some of this stuff online i'm sure like on a wikipedia or whatever but how did this script get in your hands and you know what made you want to try to go direct it and end up directing it i was reading i was doing these uh directing these stage readings for outfest for the la uh la gay lesbian film festival and GBF was one of the five scripts one year. And someone thought it would, I would be a good match for it. Specifically, I think it was um, Guinevere Turner who, who wrote American Psycho. And so when I heard Guinevere was matching me with something, I thought, oh, it's going to be something dark. I'm excited to see what this is. And it was, it was actually GBF, which was not dark at all. <laughs> I really love the script. I thought it had such an original voice. And I always love when a teen movie can do something new with a genre that we haven't seen yet. You know, a movie that just felt completely fresh. And I just told the writer I wanted to option it to direct it. And he it was his first screenplay he had ever written. His name is George Northey. He was working in advertising in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he watched Mean Girls and learned to structure structure the film off of the beats from Mean Girls. But I just loved the voice and it felt like something that similar to my voice in a way, without, I guess, a darker aspect to it. But you know, in Jawbreaker, you know, over the years, so many gay kids have related to films like Heathers and Jawbreaker and sort of the mean girl, you know, uh, Stalker Channing in Greece, the Rizzo, you know, and to to see a film where the gay kid gets to be part of that slow motion walk just felt right. You know what I mean? And it felt like a, mm-hmm. a wish fulfillment moment. Um, I, and, I totally get that. Yeah. And the fact that the film is also about something about, about not, not commodifying people and treating them as individuals. Yeah not treating them as GBFs or, you know, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to uh, use. Yeah. So yeah, that's where it came from. It came from just Outfest. I have to thank Outfest for the screenplay. Right, right. Even though I think Outfest has had some controversies a little bit uh, yeah. recently. However, at least back then they were having, you know, we want to bring that up a little bit, but doing good work, putting gay people out there in films. Great. Love it. Um, you know, even with its shortcomings, but, but that's cool to hear, you know, that it really just came from some queer guy wrote a script and then it got in your hands, uh, you know, and, uh, and that's what I think is cool because you've also mentioned, I also have like two copies of Jawbreaker on Blu-ray, one of which is the 20th anniversary. And also by the time you're hearing this, happy birthday Jawbreaker as well. It's 25 years old. It's crazy. Uh, but I remember on your, uh, disc where you had the commentary with the cast and you talking about how like uh y'all were talking about this but like you also did not set out to make a queer film with jawbreaker many people have read into it but you were just trying to make a movie you know so like and it just so happened it worked out that way but with this it's really cool because you really did have like a queer script 
with queer characters, all that kind of stuff. So, all right, it gets in your hands. You're like, all right, I'm going to option this. You had already produced All About Evil uh, from Peaches Christ, which I, if you haven't already done so, please go listen to Horror Queers, where I'm on there with them talking about it. But uh, at least we loved it, of course. It's great. And then Vertical Entertainment was the one who distributed this, right? Like, they were the production company. Um, So take me through a little bit of just, like, how did the casting process come about? Like, how did you know that you wanted to cast the folks you did? Was it just like a regular, like, let's see who's in LA and try and get them or all of that? Because obviously once you option the film and you can hopefully get some money, some capital to do it, you want to try and cast it. So tell me a little bit about just some of the casting, perhaps, if you had any sort of uh, fun stories with that or anything. Yeah, well, fun- funnily, when we did the readings at Outfest, we were trying to raise money for the movie. Raven Simone played Caprice. So Raven was, and she wanted to do it for the film. So Raven was going to play Caprice. And we, and oh, she ended up deciding that she did, she, she had just done like Sister Act on Broadway. Debbie Allen invited her to Australia to go hang out. And she chose to As go you hang do, out. you know. <laughs> so she chose to go hang out with Debbie Allen rather than make GBF, which actually worked out really well because there was a certain actress called Zosha Rockmore. She's so good in this movie. She's so good. She's so good. Like what? Like she, what I also love is that the roots that you have with Jawbreaker is that you have these people in their twenties playing this. She's like Mm -hmm. the oldest actress in this, Mm -hmm. but goddamn, like she's just, she's so good. And I want, mm, she needs better roles. She needs roles. I'm just saying, I mean, she's a caprice is amazing, but like keep working. She's coming out in a Marvel movie. She just did her first Marvel movie. Hell yes, please. That's that's huge. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, but we, but we um, looked there because I remember when Zosha sent in her audition tape. I was like, "Oh fuck, I really love it. this." Is the girl who played, Pre- you know, she was in the movie Precious, you know, she and she was like, on the mini project, the mini project. That was after. As well. That was after. G- that was after GBF. Uh, okay, but then she ended up doing that, of course. Yeah. yeah. And so, what about like your um your male leads? So we have Michael J. Willett, and then yes. um, Paula. Well, it's really important for us to make Tanner make sure that the gay characters are played by gay actors. I thought that was sure, really and it was hard to find Tanner. It was really, really hard because. There's not that many gay actors that are out, out gay actors. And, and then, and then, you know, there's not many out gay actors that like, you know, mean anything, you know, you want to get sort of a quote unquote name, whatever. But Michael J. Willett had done uh United States of Tara, which was yes. incredible. He is so charming. He's so, he, he is, he is Tanner. He's like that every man, he's that character, that kid at the school who's like flying under the radar you know, you could just see him being that role. And so we really lucked out. And he's so like adorable and like likable. Like it was Kismet that we got Michael. Michael, He's perfect. And then Paul Iacono, who plays Brent, had done RJ Miller, RJ Berger on MTV. Mm, yes, yes. And he's so sassy and he's so, he's so funny. He's such a queen in, in the best way. And he was perfect for Brent. So we really lucked out with him. And then the kid who plays T- uh the gay Mormon. Uh, Topher. Topher. His name's Taylor. And he's actually a gay Mormon in real life. Mm-hmm. So that was perfect because literally. Also, also Kyle Dean Massey's husband from Broadway. That's literally his husband. Uh, he also, it's so funny because you gave Michael J. Well his one and only film credit, by the way. He never done a film before. I can't only believe that. TV. I can't believe that. It That's literally, crazy. literally, I think he only did TV and then you are his, the GBF is his only film credit that's on his Wikipedia and any of that stuff. So I was like, wow. that's crazy. But then Taylor, like you're talking about, he then went on. So he had done a TV movie. So I think this was like his feature film. Mm-hmm. And then he went into a little movie called uh, It Chapter Two, where he also played a gay guy who gets gay bashed. Saw that. With, yep. Yeah. Which is crazy because as you know, you love horror. I'm also a horror mm-hmm. head. So mm-hmm. To see somebody you worked with and we'd love know, to see it yeah uh, uh even in that role that's so you know uh jarring and hard of course but he did it in such a way also anybody who doesn't already know this the guy who plays the actual guy who dies that is also um he uh, that guy's uh xavier dolan i think his name is he directed two adele music videos everybody so that little kid like that's kind of weird but i found that out in my research today i was like okay go off but yeah, no, Taylor is, he's such an asshole in this movie, like, you know, but he kind of has to be because he's like closeted, but 
he's kind of perfect though he's so smarmy but like it works really well and his lived experience is that he almost got kicked out of college for being gay so yeah. like that's a whole crazy thing and then of course the girls you know as you said Zosha is like amazing I don't even know where Ashley Bowen came from like she just was I guess TV actor you yeah know? she was in Desperate Housewives oh true and true she, and she had done some you know musical theater or some plays on Broadway or something yeah so funny. She's so charming. She's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I think she's, she's really funny. Ashley. And then Sasha Pietersa is from Pretty Little Liars. She was Allison. Yes. yes. And she was just the perfect faucet, you know? And mm-hmm. so the, I feel like all the girls just kind of fell into place. And then JoJo, we yes. cat because she's fucking JoJo. And I mean, duh. <laughs> like, how could you not? You You would have to leave and get out if you didn't. Is Thank what I'm you. saying. Thank you. Listen. I like that. That pun was perfect. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, because she, I feel like I love that we get to continue her, you know, cinema sort of experience with Aquamarine. I love that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then also, yes. And then also, and then also finding out like after the fact too of like her whole horror with her music career, but oh. she's been able to also really take back it, which is really cool. Yeah, I just, I love that. JoJo so much. Yeah. I just saw her on Broadway in Milan Rouge. She was incredible. I went yes. backstage. You know, like we're buddies and she's great. And, and she's a okay. great actress. I mean, how good is she? Yeah, so, absolutely. She's one of the best moments of the movie when she's like a real live homosexual. It's so funny. It's so stupid. And, <laughs> and that's the thing is, is that this movie, it's not like, not campy, in a bad yeah. way, not a pejorative. Yeah. It's campy. Yeah. It's supposed yeah. to be. Supposed to be over the yeah. top. And then Ivana Lynch, who plays, uh, you know, the, um, the I mean, Christian girl. Whatever her name is, right. Or something. Yeah, she's she was great. I mean, having a, an actress, having Little Love Good in your film was pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. I think and then we got Natasha Leone, Megan Mullally. Yeah. I kind of wonder with that too. So I know, of course, like Rebecca is one of your movies. I want her to make her comeback too. Um, I'm waiting on it. Uh, Megan Mullally is obviously a great get as well. Where did Jonathan Silverman come in? How did that happen? I think that, you know, I was a fan of his from his 80s movies. I always like sure. I think it's fun in, in kind of campy teen films to sort of be referential in your, in your casting. Mm-hmm. And having yeah. grown up having grown up with 80s movies, you know, Silverman was like definitely on my radar from those from that decade. And he's hilarious. Yeah. So, so him and Rebecca together were, were so funny. Horatio, oh God, yes. he got through Natasha. I think he was friends with Natasha Leone. Right. That's I got Natasha. I produced All About Evil. So mm-hmm. I knew Natasha from that. Yeah. And so she was really sweet and gracious to do the film. Yeah. And then Megan, we can't, we got through Paul Iacono because Paul and Megan mm-hmm. had done the Fame remake. Oh, right. So, so Paul called Megan and was like, Will you do a couple days in this movie? And she loved the script. And oh my God, how great is she in the movie? Oh, she's so funny. She's like the runaway like hit of it because she's ridiculous. But I that's perfect because she's Karen, like obviously, and she knows that. Yeah, no, the casting in this is like kind of I it's really iconic, honestly. Like it just works. Now I've also heard just that this was a labor of love for you guys because if I'm not mistaken, I think y'all had to do a Kickstarter during production because Everybody, it's hard to make a movie out here, y'all. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it happens. But like, uh, you know. But uh, tell me a little bit about just like getting that casting and all that. But then also, what was like the filming like? You know, I guess if you want to explain like why you did have to do a Kickstarter in the middle, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But like also, you know, um, what was the filming process like? Like, um, you did yeah, Jawbreaker yeah. in a month, so you're like, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah, I'm used to making films on a low budget. You know, Jawbreaker, the budget was three point five million dollars at a time when teen films were being made for between, you know, seven and 15 million. So, so Jawbreaker was made by Sony, Sony pictures, which is Columbia and TriStar, but it was actually financed by the home video division of Sony. So Jawbreaker was the first production of Columbia TriStar home video, which is why we had a smaller budget, which is why we had 30 days to shoot it. And which is why Mm -hmm. it was released only on 800 screens and not 2000, you know, 1500 screens. Like, everything else right because it was supposed to go to home video it wasn't really supposed to be theatrical right well i think we always wanted Mm -hmm. it to be theatrical the the business model was made for home video like he they knew that it recoup its money in home video but because the film turned out so well oh yeah what ended up up happening with jawbreaker is that it ended up um getting into sundance 
And that I think gave the studio sort of like faith for the theatrical after that. I got um, it. Which is ironic because it, you know, it went from Sundance to getting panned by the critics. But, right. But, but but to becoming a cult classic. So I'll take it. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> I did my first episode on that. But anyway, back to GBF though. Like kind of what was the filming of that like? And Okay, you know. yeah. So, so GBF, you know, having made Jawbreaker and 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 seen it succeed. I really wanted GBF to, you know, have follow a similar trajectory, but we had a fraction of the budget of Jawbreaker. I mean, we made we made GBF for three like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, so it was like close to half a million dollars. It was nothing, nothing. So, like all the locations were favors. Like I got like like Fawcett's house was like that bedroom was like my mom's friend's house in the valley. Tanner's house was like my cousin's house in Santa Monica. Brent's house was my childhood friend Justin's house in Santa Monica. Prom, we got a great nightclub in Hollywood, but we had to give you know the guy from the club a co-producer credit to shoot there for three days. But we got all their lighting. That's that's why the prom scene looks so big because it's a it's a huge nightclub with this great lighting. What's funny, yeah. I wondered why there were so many producer credits on here. Yeah. And now I can understand why because yeah. all right, cool, good to know. <laughs> yeah, because everyone's like literally putting in like two thousand here, five thousand there location. Literally. It's literally cobbled together. And then as far as the Kickstarter, you know, we we got through production. We had enough money to shoot the film. Then we had to raise more money, more money to finish post post production on the film. So we did that, and we got some more money. I mean, with the biggest cost, what ended up costing the most money on the entire film was the music, because um, if you watch the movie, it has a kind of banging soundtrack, you know. Yeah. And I really wanted for me in the teen films that I grew up with, a big part of the takeaway is like, oh, the music, and you know, getting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, play the soundtrack afterwards and all that. And so right. we got Megan and Sarah. And I wanted it to be timeless, like, you know, modern, but also referential of different time periods. And so it was everyone from Blur to Tegan and Sarah to Ellie Goulding to like a like a, like a, a shoegaze cover of Spandau Ballet's True, mm-hmm. the prom. There's so many great uh, tracks. And we, we had a music supervisor who kind of promised a certain price for things, but he was he kind of like misled, and so we mm. we ended up having to pay a lot of extra money for music that we weren't yeah. we weren't really counting on. Right. So I, I remember we when when we were editing the movie, the the editor put in the Ellie Goulding song over that montage over mm. the make over, over the makeover montage, and that song had just come out. It was called Anything, Anything Can Happen, and I was like, okay, this fits perfectly, but there's no way but we're going to pricey, right? Yeah, I was like. <laughs> Thank you for putting the song in. So now I will, I will now hear what I can't have. Right. And, but I guess we can find something in that in that style because you know I'll, when you edit a film, you kind of have you know your dream idea, and then you or you mm-hmm. put in placeholder and you find something affordable right. or something original that you can replicate. And then we ended up just getting the rights to Ellie fucking Goulding, and it is in the movie to this right. day. So that's yeah, a, a really amazing. Yeah, no, and it's so true because at a time, too, what's interesting is that soundtracks were not as much of a thing in 2013 just because of that. But yeah, I do think that the music of this movie is very much of the time, which isn't a terrible thing. The same thing can be said for Jawbreaker. The same can be said for any of the John Hughes movies, like any of these things. Um, It kind of lives in that you know, time that was made. And so, um, yeah, no, totally. That's, that's very fair. Yeah. I think because I come from that, I'm Gen X. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to, you know, and I got us, I got us a CD release on Lakeshore records. There's a proper soundtrack. Mm-hmm. You can buy the soundtrack on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that meant a lot to me. And, you know, I really wanted the film to feel like it could compete with any other teen film out there. I did not want this to feel indie or like cheap mm-hmm. looking or like lesser in any way. And right. I think the film really looks incredible and you would never know that it costs so little. I wouldn't have known that. I literally thought because the internet lied to me that it costs like at least a million dollars or more. And the fact that it was under that, I mean, doesn't look half bad for that. Shoot. Like uh, the way I look at it. Um, yeah, so, it, it has, yeah. I think it says somewhere on the internet that it costs 3 million or 3.5 and it costs four. That's what I had in my notes. And yeah, I guess I was wrong. And I love how the internet just decides how, what things cost because they because somebody thinks they know. They're like, um, no, that's actually how much Jawbreaker costs. So yes, get it right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. So the filming of that. So again, it was kind of a, a journey, if you will. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure the filming actually was fine. It was just actually everything else was a journey. Um, now, what about the release of the film? So as you stated, um, I'll let you talk about it. But it released at a film festival. And then, how do you feel about the 
least and like the reception of the film, I guess, if you want to speak to that a little bit. And, you know, because again, you have your movie. Okay, great. It's all finished. Now we got to see what actually people think about it. <laughs> well, the movie premiered at Tribeca, which was great. It was really well received. We got the, re- we got the distribution deal with Vertical Entertainment. They had this thing where we were going to, we, we did a small theatrical. So it was really placed in, I think, eight or nine major cities. And then um, DirecTV had this exclusive. And that, and they ran a full page ad in Entertainment Weekly, which is pretty cool. And then it was on Netflix for four years. And so the, so that was really kind of amazing because at the time, you know, 10 years ago, Netflix was sort of like the blockbuster. It's like where you saw everything, right? It was this before HBO Max, it's before Hulu. And, you right. know- Right. This yeah. is when they were doing their originals and, uh, you know, Natasha Leone was on an original program of theirs. So, you know, it all kind of worked out. But yeah, no, totally. No, but she did Orange is the New Black after after GBF. Yeah. Yeah. I oh. remember when yeah, Natasha and I were on the way to a premiere at the Castro in San Francisco. And she's like, and we were in the back of this car and she's like, oh, I just got this. I just got this job on right. it. You know, Netflix is making original programming now. I don't I don't know. Something called Orange is the New Black, a women in prison thing. It's <laughs> All I yes. know is it's Benji Cohan and she's, she's good. She's cool. You know? So I don't know. Netflix, who would have thought they'd be doing series. <laughs> and then you're like, Oh, never mind that. I guess. Um, Girl, of course. <laughs> now She's obviously, and I, I feel really good to have been part of her. You know, like we, we, we cast her in all about evil when nobody was casting her. I, she was a liability I, really. I mean, I love Natasha Leone, but like, yeah, she was seen as a liability because she was into drugs for a while. So, you know, it was like, uh, this is nothing that is out of the ordinary, but like the fact that she got in better graces and all that. And now she's like, fuck it. Like she has like a peacock show. She like all this shit. And the fact that she was like, yeah, I'll come do your movie. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> but this is before, no, but GBF was before orange is a new black. So she, I had, think so. Yeah. It was like I mean, right. She did after. not have her. She didn't have the huge resurgence yet, but anyway, true, true, true. It found its audience on, on Netflix, which is great mm. because I feel like every gay kid all over the country, all over the world could see GBF. And yeah. so the movie really got a really great, great exposure. Yeah, no, totally and it, for sure. And it got and it got great reviews. It has like an eighty percent, eighty something on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm, it it's does. Kind of unheard of considering Jawbreaker has like a much lower score. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're kind of like, what happened? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened. What happened was Jawbreaker was ahead of its time. All mm. the critics back then in the fucking ninety nine were like straight heterosexual older men who yeah didn't get what Jawbreaker was. We see you, Roger. Okay, listen. Roger Ebert hated it. Oh, I know him. Him and that guy. You know what's funny? Uh, just funny is that that guy uh, Siskel. Um, he died like not too long after, and he literally it was like the last movie he like reviewed. And I'm like, well, oh well. <laughs> that's, what like, that's what you get. No, he was he was such yeah. a hater on it, but yeah, but you're right. Like it probably got better reception because. You know, in 2013, you have people who kind of get it. Um, and again, people could do that. Now, do you think, if anything, um, with that, is there anything that you think you would have done differently on the production? Or do you think there are things in this movie that don't age the best just because it was from 10 years ago? Or do you feel like for the most I mean, part, there's, it stays there's like right? one, there's one, li- one little aside that Paul Iacono says about wonton. You know, it's like an Asian slur. Yeah. It's not great. But aside from that, yeah. aside from that, I don't think anything's that bad. Like Rice Queen, whatever. It's not that it's mm. not terrible. It's not the best. But you know, I think I think the film represents its moment in time. You know, I mean yeah. the one comment was way more like 80s John Hughes comedy. That that right. that probably shouldn't have been there at all. Yeah, like oh shit. Oops. I'll own up to that. But but aside from that, I think the film ages pretty well. Yeah, I think so, too. I, what I like is that in the beginning, when you're introducing the girls, like Caprice is like the queen of the diversity people. So like people could criticize that this movie. And of course, I'm just like a white man, like, you know, whatever. But like, you know, you could criticize, oh, it doesn't have enough diversity in it or whatever. I'm like, I mean, it's supposed to be kind of funny. And like, also, you do mention that like Caprice is kind of like the queen of the theater. She's the queen of this. Um, and also like the underrepresented people because she is a black woman. And I'm like, eh, whatever. Yeah, by, the way, by the way, like my disbelief, you know, yeah, none of these films with these main girls had a black girl in that main crew, except for no, they didn't. craft was ahead of its time. 
True, Rachel True, we love her. But like, yeah, exactly. That was major that the craft did that. But absolutely, craft is racist in its own ways. It is true, and also the treatment of her after it, not the best. Yes. So it's like you know these things about like teen films, especially you know when it comes down to it, they kind of live in their their time that they're released a lot of the time and and all that but i do agree that for the most part with gbf like it does if you take that out of it or if that offends you or whatever that's fair but at the same time i'm like no this is just a story about these two young men and one's kind of thrown into this thing and he makes do with it and it's not a romance either you know which is kind of cool it's about these best friends which is yeah, really but nice. It, but it still gives you some romantic comedy feels, which is nice. I agree. Um, totally. And Caprice is celebrated in this. Like she's such a queen. She like she's given full queen treatment. Yeah, um, no, there's totally. Another, there's another cringy moment actually when <laughs> Oh God. When <laughs> Megan Mullaley is like something about, oh yeah, boys don't cry. She's like, this one's about a girl who wants to be a boy. I don't know. Oh gosh. And she says something like Good luck with that. Or I don't know. It's 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 a little bit bad. She says that, but like it's nothing too bad. Listen, no. I'll tell you this much. I'll tell you this much. Listen, Ryan Murphy used the T-Slur in an episode of Glee. That was weird. The Rocky Horror one. And I know you're a Rocky Horror head too, so I love yeah. it as well. Um, and yeah, I was like, Yeah, that's weird. So at least you didn't do that, I guess. You know what I mean? No, no, um, but I, these are yeah. always things that are gonna come up for sure. You yeah, because you have to remember, like GBF was before gender exploded i was in college and yeah i'll I'll say that because guess what it had there would have been a trans character in it no question whatsoever oh completely yeah Um, no yeah so yeah it's it's definitely its moment you know but i'm so glad you know that it 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 holds up we've had it it's been cool because we've had like 10th anniversary screenings in san diego Mm -hmm. and in austin and the audience has loved it and it's still hilarious i think it's really fun and i think the critics liked it so much because you know it's giving you all those movie beats it's like structurally very sound and it's mm-hmm. smart and it's yeah. and it's a pure comedy jawbreaker i would not say is a broad co- pure comedy no. it's sort of a subversive. dark comedy it's dark and it's a subversive cult movie it's not meant to be for everyone whereas no. gbf i think really is it's much more of a mainstream vibe which i think you know there's more to sort of sink your teeth into for i mean yeah i agree with that for sure and i know you've also been candid about telling that like you you know it felt a certain way about the fact that this movie got rated an r when really um you know when you think about it and you know for all intents and purposes you know it really is a movie that probably could have gone away with a pg-13 if you took some of the lines out maybe that were innuendos but then also i think you even said before like you know if straight people get to have their innuendos why can't gays have theirs but because it's gay it's like oh can't do that the fact that gbf got an r is so ridiculous yeah because i could see you were going for like a pg-13 i'm like oh no this is this there's work. not even a single F word in the movie. There isn't. And, and there's no nudity. There's no violence. There's yeah. no breasts. I mean, I think it's because, but the slang is like, fuck, the slang goes hard. Yeah, it so, does. And also you use the <laughs> F slur, which again, I'm not above using the F slur. I use it myself sometimes, you know, whatever. Um, but it makes sense to the story. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, but it does go hard a little bit. And you're just like, yeah. But again, I mean, I, I think that's fine. It's of its time. It's something where, and I'm not critiquing that or like analyzing it really, but it's more so just like, oh, it's just, that's just what it was, you know? And the, yeah. The slang references gay sex constantly. Right. And so the idea of gay sex is pervasive in the movie right. through, you know, gay slang. Yeah. And- it's not heartstopper. You know what I mean? I get that. So you're like. You know, it wasn't supposed to be either. I think that's it's that's part that's part of why I love a script because it was it had it had a real bite, it had a real edge, mm-hmm. and that's that's part of why I love a script is because it, it was it kind of takes you to that like, you know, there's two there's like a, a horny gay more closeted gay Mormon who's trying to seduce other boys and kissing them, and it's like, yeah. I mean, isn't it funny how for heterosexuals like kissing can be almost as offensive as gay sex you know what i'm saying it's like right thing they don't want to see that you know and this movie has three different kisses so yeah, exactly <laughs> it's not 
you know, there's plenty of of fun and you want to, you know, suggestion going on, which is that. Yeah. Which is part of a teen movie. That's part of what you get when you have yes. that. For sure. yeah. why, why do the heterosexuals get to kiss? Why can't, you know, mm-hmm. the gay characters. So I think that's, that's why this movie also, I think is important. And, and, Absolutely. and I think it was really life-changing for a lot of young queer people when it, when they saw it. Yeah. I mean, for all intents and purposes, people can critique it for whatever they want to, but at the end of the day, um, you know, even just like recently, Trace uh, from Horror Queers, you know, he watched this movie, I think with his husband. He actually really likes it. He gave it a four and a half. And he's like, I don't know why this movie hasn't gotten its Heather's Mean Girls Jawbreaker like cult treatment. And I was like, oh, don't worry. I think it is like, I think it kind of has. Um, if you want to speak to a little bit of like, do you feel like what do you think the legacy of this film has been? Um, or what would you want it to have been or or whatever, if you want to speak to the legacy, because it is 10 years old, you know, it's going I, to, it's I, going to I, middle I, school school, you know, and all I, that. I, like, yeah. I'm very happy where it is at 10 years. I feel like the fact that it just screened in three different festivals across the country mm-hmm. says it all. I mean, if it wasn't, if it didn't stand the test of time, if it didn't feel important to people, mm-hmm. it wouldn't screen three different places. So I do feel like it's, and having watched it at one of those screenings, I was like, oh, this aged well. I wasn't sure because it's mm-hmm. called it's called GBF, which is kind right. of an NG title, really. So I mean, you're right because that, that word doesn't even. But guess what? Culturally, there's still pieces in like Vulture and these significant uh, magazines about you know GBFs. It's still said. It's still a thing. We mm-hmm. haven't the needle. <laughs> I hate to say it, but in the last ten years, the needle hasn't the needle hasn't moved that far. We're in hell, Darren Stein. We are in hell. <laughs> But we're just trying our best. I think it's got a little in reverse, actually. Oh, so, it has. Yeah. So I think this film is still important, you know? I think so. Um, it's a powerful piece, even though it's, a, you know, a campy comedy. It's actually mm-hmm. a lot deeper than that. Yeah. Um, I think it's as deep as you want it to be. But yeah. I also think, like, you know, the fact that it is on Peacock, you can find it on Tubi. It's something where it's pretty accessible for people to get. And... You know, again, for all intents and purposes, you can think of whatever you want about it. But I think overall, hopefully queer people like it. You know, if anything, they kind of get the funny and just like how ridiculous the idea is anyway. But they can get something out of it and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really burns me. It burns me that like GBF's on Peacock, but Jawbreaker's not streaming streaming anywhere. uh, It's it's hard when you get it. Sometimes it's on Tubi every so often. That's about it. You know, but yeah, it doesn't, or, it, or, yeah. or it'll, be, it'll be on Shutter once in a while, or it'll be here and right. there. But like, you know, Sony never treated GB uh, Jawbreaker right. like that. because you know the thing is, or like Cruel Intentions, or like Can't Hardly Wait because it was yeah. made, because it was made by Columbia Tristone Video, and because it doesn't have the numbers that these other films have, mm-hmm. you know. But that being said, I'm now I I I'm writing a Jawbreaker movie musical remake for Columbia. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they're still, they're still, they still paid me to write this remake, which is really exciting. And we're, we're now looking at cast and hopefully yeah. green light, but I wish, but it's like, okay, so, but why isn't the movie on like Netflix, like or HBO max? Like why, right. why am I not out there? Why is GBF on Peacock? Right. Yeah. Which is so, fine. But like, you're like, wait a minute. Why isn't my other film there? You just got sparkler out there. You know what I mean? It's like, Sparkler's yeah. not even on, but sparkler's not even on, on streaming, but, but at least it's out there. You can rent it. Yeah, people can, can get it. it. You know, and I'm really proud of it. And that aged really well. And I was super excited that the New Beverly, which is the temple of cinema in Los Angeles, did a double feature of Sparkler and Jawbreaker. That was incredible. They did. That was, you know, you don't get, filmmakers just don't get that. You don't get a double feature at the New Beverly. You rarely see No, not at all. And they are both screened on 35 millimeter. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. But I think because Jawbreaker, you know, had an, it wasn't a queer movie. No had a queer inherent queerness and that is more yes that's more cult and subversive than gbf because gbf was, gbf wears its queerness on its sleeve it's it's gay best friend and it's it's mm-hmm. if you like if you like eat mean girls and easy a you'll love it but jawbreaker sure. isn't as easy to wrap your head around you know what i love about what i love about jawbreaker especially and again <laughs> we're gonna start wrapping up soon at least but you know i think with that like it lives on its own planet like drop dead gorgeous lives or like Sicko Beach Party or something like that, you know, um, because you went into it wanting to make something that was heightened, make something that 
where your influences or, you know, could all come together. Um, and I think at the time there were some people who liked it, but I think overall people were like, well, what the hell is this? Like tonally, this doesn't make sense. And I'm just like, Roger Ebert, you literally wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Are you fucking kidding me? Like what? That, that really it, hurt my feelings. The fact that he co-wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls or whatever, I was like, right. Like a two brute, like you're going to fucking stab a bitch in the back. You, when you made a cult movie, a campy movie yourself, you know, but but that being said, I get that though because yeah. you know it's like that whole th- you know mean gays thing of being like you know you see another gay like you and you're like wow. Oh, oh. So I think that he. Oh my god! But but that being said, you know, I was on uh, a podcast a few years ago called Attack of the Queer Wolf. It was like a gay yes, and it was me and Rebecca McKendry, and she's like a horror director mm-hmm. now. She's also teaches horror at USC, a learned person on the horror subject. And yes. She, she pulled me aside and she's like, Darren, I want to tell you a funny story. She's like, I interviewed John Waters for Fangoria or something, you know, several years ago, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago or something. And they're talking about 90s teen movies. And she was like, I love Drop Dead Gorgeous. And he's like, well, I love a film called Jawbreaker. Have you seen Jawbreaker? And so John Waters, she told me that John Waters was a fan of Jawbreaker. And that to me is every, that was all I needed to hear, you know. So oh, completely. Roger Ebert, because John Waters gets it. <laughs> exactly you know what and i'm from baltimore i live in baltimore so mm-hmm. listen uh all them all them people so yeah no totally i i can believe that like i think this movie is your most wholesome if you will of course yes. um but well, yeah i, I think it's well it's because i didn't write it <laughs> exactly you were like i didn't write it oops uh but yeah no i i do think it is successful for what it's trying to do um i think your spin on it is a fun one if anything again take it or leave it but um i hope that people do like it and they can take something from it whether you like it or you hate it i mean whatever but at the end of the day like you still did something with pretty much nothing which is yeah. you know great uh, and, but, and yeah. i love the films that people love or hate you know i don't like films that people mm-hmm. are like toast about you know i think right. films that get a strong reaction are always the of course reason. Interesting yeah. ones, yeah. But yeah, I think that's everything I can think of right now. What I would like to, I also like how we just said fuck Roger Ebert because you know what, he was good for what he did, but also I'm just like some of the things I'm like, you really didn't like horror that much, really. I know, but, but conversely, okay. conversely though, I think I do think he was a brilliant critic, and like sure. I love, love his reviews. And you know, I mean, like, Roger Ebert was was a legend. And but you're like, I, you didn't when, I, when I say <laughs> fuck Roger Ebert, I mean that purely in association with my own personal butthurtness. That's all. There you go. <laughs> At least you're vulnerable about it. Listen, there you go. Uh, but what, so you already said kind of what's next, you know, you're trying to get this uh, <clears throat> in the vein of, first off, also, I like how uh, this script also predicted the Mean Girls uh, musical, which will be coming out soon. Um, so love that. Oh, it's so how funny. weird is that? Is that funny? It's so weird. Like George <laughs> Northey, he's like a psychic, but so you're optioning, you know, um, to try to make the musical version of Jawbreaker and movie musical um i want you to get judy greer to be miss sherwood just saying oh yeah judy no judy already already i had lunch with her a few weeks ago and she's she's on board for miss sherwood yeah she's like and, listen so your first yeah. your first exclusive everyone you if you're gonna be seeing this you might see our our girl get to do something yeah Judy's, <laughs> i love judy she's the best and fern she's is so now fern fern is trans and see that makes sense too yeah. but that happened not because i'm trying to be like culturally relevant it's because no Jawbreaker has a lot of trans fans. It does. Saw Fern's transformation into Violet as a trans storyline, and sure. so when I get those messages, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I'm just gonna have Vern. Vern should be, you know, she's gonna transition him into Violet yeah. from boy, well, Vern, and then uh, yeah. yeah, it's exciting. It's a really fun script, and the music's incredible. I really hope. And then people it. will be like, "This is so woke," blah 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 blah, and then be like, "You don't fucking get it, y'all." Like, whatever, it's fine. But yeah. uh but yeah, so besides I guess that's kind of what you're doing and all. Anything else you have to promote yeah, or I have, anything? I have, an, you know? I have another movie that I'm putting together called Aunt Max. Mm-hmm. Aunt Max is the most personal thing I've ever written. And it's about a very intense friendship, life-changing mm-hmm. friendship that I had with this older woman. When I was coming out of the closet when I was like 21, she was like in her mid-40s. She and her mm-hmm. husband were friends of my parents. They had kids in the Encino. Mm-hmm. She was an attorney and she had this huge full life, but when I, but she also had this like Rizzo energy, this like lawless, right, right. crazy energy. And when I, and when I uh, came home from college, she dragged me upstairs. I saw her at dinner at my parents' house. She's like, are you gay? I'm like, yeah. She's like, I knew it. We're going to be best friends. And we became inseparable. 
And she became this like wing woman for me. Mm-hmm. And she would like lie to her husband and say she was going to the law library and go to West Hollywood and party with me at the bars and go up to guys and be like, my nephew, my nephew thinks you're cute. So we try we tell people she was my aunt, but she wasn't my aunt. She was my mom's friend, but right. it's basically like a gay Harold. And, no, it's like a, um, yeah. Gay Harold and Maude. A little bit. Or, or an anti-mame. And I, we are going out with the talent right now. So we're talking about some fun names, you know, to get to play Max, um, mm-hmm. see, see who ends up playing her. I don't want to jinx it, but no, just, of course not. I just, I just wrote a letter yesterday. So there is a major actress, who um, was in a very heavenly film that I saw years ago, but uh, she's mm-hmm. going to be reading it on this big long train uh, plane ride back home for the holidays. So we'll see. I like it. So Aunt Max is what you have um, yeah. in the works, maybe. Aunt Max, Jawbreaker. Aunt Jawbreaker. And mm-hmm. I'm working on a series pitch, which is a very Twin Peaks kind of style of history. And I have a um, a slasher that of Ooh. I might be directing that a friend of mine wrote that. Uh, I've been developing with him. So, mm-hmm. which is, a, but it's a very new take on the genre, which I'm excited yeah. about. So it's, it's all, there's stuff in the works, yeah. all yeah. that good stuff. Uh, also check out Darren Stein uh, directed a, one of the parts of the flowers of the attic, like revival thing that he did, <laughs> uh, which is wild. They did all those on lifetime. So good for you getting a lifetime little bag. I appreciate that. Um, I see the vision, you know, I definitely see the vision, uh, but you want to plug your socials and all that. Yeah, it's just my name, Darren Stein. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and that's that's about it, you know? All right. Well, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Darren, about your wonderful yeah. film. And, of course, George Northey, shout out to the writing. Um, but, yeah, I think that's everything. But thank you so much. And uh, maybe I'll have you back on the show, talk about Sparkler, maybe. We'll see. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, spark- Sparkler needs some love, some love. Sparkler does need some love. I got to watch it, but the the trailer's pretty was, good, and I'd like to do an episode on it for you sure. You would love it. I was really happy because Freddie Prince Jr. was in it years ago. Right. And he was so young, you know? He doesn't talk about it ever, you know? Because I, I remember I went to him at a party, and mm-hmm. he had She's All That coming out, and I had Jawbreaker coming out, and we were kind of competing right. for our movies. It was cute. He, I didn't know he had a horror podcast, and he was doing a... Uh, oh episode on alien and he was talking about veronica cartwright and he said oh i didn't he's like i actually did one of my very first movies with her back in the day called sparkler so he gave it a shout out on his podcast so i was like okay freddie come through look at you also married to literal sarah michelle geller mother oh my god like what uh but yeah so and then park overall and like all these people oh my god jamie kennedy jamie and freddie are great now you should watch it (laughs) i'm gonna watch it it's on my apple tv so for sure but love to have you back as well um go check out all the things i've done but uh thank you so much and uh yeah i think that's everything and yeah so that is my interview with uh darren stein i am just saying this here right now um i'm like I pinched myself a little bit because I was like, wow, that's super cool that I was able to get the director of this movie to like come on and talk about it. Um, and it was so cool to, to talk to Darren. I mean, I, you know, I won't get too deep about it, but like, I mean, I grew up like loving Jawbreaker and seeing that movie so young and having it a cer- having it have a certain effect on me, right? And and I still like it for what it is. I think it's this over the top kind of ridiculous, you know, cartoon, if you will, right? You know, and I, it's just really cool that I I was able to get him on my show and have him talk about this film, which, for all intents and purposes, I I think also has this interesting place in, you know, some queer cinema and, you know, it's a nice little movie that I think accomplishes what it's trying to do for the most part. And so, yeah, it was just so cool. So, you know, again, thank you, Darren, for coming on my show and, you know, like actually uh, being a great guest and being a great interview personally. Um, Yeah. So go support anything he's, doing in the future um i would say he seems like a cool dude so yeah i mean that's that's a little bit about that but i mean overall to kind of wrap it all up um i really do think like at least for me you know and maybe anybody else who has similar taste to me or whatever who knows like what taste i do think that gbf is a movie that that is worth checking out it is very unabashedly queer it's very much just like a a kind of a time capsule of 2013 if you will um this is like right on the cusp of like marriage equality and stuff being passed and uh, especially now just seeing things get like 
be repealed and like all this kind of shit. It's just really crazy to kind of see this, this uh, tipping point, if you will. But, and just, just see how many, many things have changed within 10 years as well. I think overall, like it's just a fun little movie that I don't think you have to think too much about, you know, it's not really like super duper deep, you know, and it was obviously kind of targeted to a different demographic, but I will say that, um, I think it is worth a, a watch, if anything. I think it's a nice little queer movie, and I just like having having cinema made by queer folks about queer folks, um, and and all of that. I, I can really get behind it, and I think we just need that, you know, um, especially in the community. And um, I just really like that. I, I want to support any filmmaker who, and as you heard already, you know, this movie was a labor of love, and it was, you know, wasn't the easiest thing to make i don't think but it ended up working out and and that's awesome and uh you know i i think if anything like um i do hope that like uh not that i've seen it i think i'm gonna wait for it to stream but like the mean girls musical that's kind of uh again uh, i've been hearing rumblings because you're hearing this a little in the future but like um you know yeah people are kind of hot and cold on it or whatever but i really do kind of hope that like in some way you know they can get like a jawbreaker musical off the ground and i think that would be kind of a fun little thing to do um obviously heather's and mean girls have done it as well but like you know jawbreaker did that a while back anyway you know what i mean so like i don't see why they couldn't just just make that a thing maybe it just goes right to streaming that's fine i think that's perfectly okay um and yeah i don't know it'd be super cool but um i would say go check out gbf i think it's a fun watch it's pretty accessible you can find it like i'm pretty sure you can find it on peacock but you can also find it on like Tubi every so often it's pretty easy to find and watch so you know for sure and yeah you'll have a <laughs> you'll have a gay old time if you will you know um and i think it it's tongue-in-cheek enough where i think you'll you'll enjoy yourself if if you go in with the right mindset but as we always close the show out with um if you want to follow uh, my show cult cinema circle you can do so on social media at uh, on Instagram, I'm at Cult Cinema Circle, uh, and on Twitter slash X, I'm at Cult Cinema Circle, um, and on Letterboxd, I'm at Jesse J E S S E Kremp K R E M P, where you can watch uh, my little watch list and you know see what I've been watching in the month, see what I might be covering in the future, my stupid little reviews I put up there, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to see, um, and all that good stuff. If you can so kindly rate and comment and subscribe. Um, on your podcatcher of choice so please rate five stars on your podcatcher leave me a one to two sentence review you know saying you like the show or whatever you want to do um if you want to email me you can do so at cult cinema circle at gmail.com and you can tell me hey or you can give me whatever feedback you want and give me suggestions whatever like i'm all open to all of it thank you for taking the time to listen to the cult cinema circle podcast and remember we all know you're gayer than a very special episode of glee take care bye